the ideas, the leaders, the lives that are shaping Denmark and the world. From Blocks Hub in Copenhagen, Denmark, with your co-hosts, Ed Lay and Thomas Mulhern, this is Global Denmark. Hello and welcome back to the Global Denmark podcast, where we explore how thought leaders and innovators are working to create a better Denmark and a better world. Well, we had a bit of a special episode this week where I flew solo without my co-pilot Ed, who was enjoying a nice holiday down in France. Now, what you will not hear is uh, my interpretation of Ed's British accent, but what you will hear is our exciting interview with CEO of Volkswagen in Russia, Lars Himmer. Lars is also a Copenhagen Goodwill Ambassador, where he won the Copenhagen Goodwill Ambassador of the Year in 2018. He has worked and lived in many, many countries around the world, speaks nine languages, and we get into a lot of fascinating topics, including the difference in different work cultures and how that aligns with the Microsoft Office metaphor. We talked about the work of Copenhagen Google Ambassador, specifically the Danish diaspora and what's going on with the 250,000 Danes abroad. We looked at what it means to be a Danish leader abroad. So lots of good stuff. Without further ado, we bring you Lars Hemer. We are back. I am here alone today. My co-pilot, Ed Lee, has decided to embrace work-life balance and is on holiday in France. So uh, you will be getting a lot of me today. And I am sitting across from our special guest, Mr. Lars Himmer. Lars, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for the invite. Thank you for coming by the studio. How are you doing today? Good, good. Enjoying vacation back in Denmark this week with the family. It really is a beautiful time of year, I think, with the, the leaves changing colors. And exactly. It's definitely one of the times of years I recommend. And I've, I've been very active in the garden over the last couple of days. So much as, as you noticed, I have a backache <laughs> being over-enthusiastic <laughs> with a chainsaw. <laughs> Stay away from chainsaws. Yes. I, was, I want to dive right in. You are obviously one of the top leaders, a Dane, and you are based primarily out of Russia. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, what is the key to being a Danish leader abroad? If you start with a historic perspective, I guess Danes coming from a small country with very few natural resources have always been traveling. And I think that exploring mindsets and desire to see something new, um, I very much have felt as well. So I've used many of the vacations from very early childhood on, on vacations, on uh, language schools, and when I had the chance to go abroad, uh, both as a student, later in, in, in Hansa-Schulen, but also from a work perspective, I seeked out. And to date I've been studying and working in 10 different countries. And today based in Russia, which is the fourth time I'm there. And for me it's really that exploring aspect of um, emerging into a new culture that I find, I find fascinating. Okay. Then the Danish perspective for me is bringing an open-mindedness, showing how you work with a very high degree of trust, at the same time as you definitely cannot be naive. If you dive into another culture which is not accustomed to that, you always need to either put the finger in the ground or think very carefully of also how you adapt to that. And that's what is very developing, that in different cultures you need to find 
your right mix of being as if you were, let's say, back in Denmark, mm-hmm. or you are now in the US, or you were in Russia or somewhere else. And to some extent, um, I also see that could play and, and, and also be relevant if you are in a Danish company. You, you have very different cultures inside Danish companies. So it's, yeah. it just puts it, you take the national cultural aspect on top of it. That's what I really bring. I bring that open-mindedness, a high degree of trust base into the organizations, and then adapt it to the challenge and to the culture that I'm in. You've obviously lived and worked in many countries, mm-hmm. and you talk about this open-mindedness to exploring new cultures that you're going to live and work into. What does that look like, that open-mindedness? I, I've been very fortunate to, to have been now in, in, in many different cultures, and, and I really hope that any young person who today would have a life expectancy probably that would be three digits, be older than 100 on, on average, takes opportunity to go a few years at least abroad and then come back after that or continue the international journey. It really gives a good experience on how things are done in, in other places. So the open-mindedness as well for me is when you get that opportunity to work in another country, to try to learn about aspects of history, what has been building that country, also what would be famous artists or moments in history, uh, what would be also um, key phrases that are spoken, key songs, and with that uh, I lead into learning the local languages. Mm. Um, I've had a very good basic educational languages in the Danish military as a language officer, and I've prioritized in every country to then really also learn the language. Yeah, I saw you speak nine languages at some degree of fluency. Because living in a country for me, really, I'd like to speak and greet, let's say, my, my new colleagues in, in the language, and it's been to varying degrees. I wouldn't be able to write poetry in every language, but I'd be able to communicate and open up for closer relations that will not just be built on, on a business uh, proposition or a business relationship. I think that's what's amazing too. Yeah. Uh, I'm an American and you know if we can just get our mother tongue down we feel proud of ourselves. <laughs> so it's always fascinating to hear polyglots and uh, it's more of a European phenomenon definitely the love of language but you've taken it to a new level I can hear. But it, it is also you, you get motivated when you then meet someone in a, from a smaller country. Like today, when, when we met in the morning and your colleague from Taiwan was speaking Danish with perfect grammar, I, I'm impressed. That immediately, immediately established a very positive relation. When I was in Latvia, which is a language that is not really spoken by many other than Latvians, and, and started learning Latvian, that gave a lot of respect and opened up and formed a lot of, of good relationships, both on a private basis, but very also um, on a professional basis. You mentioned before that uh, one of the keys to leadership is the way that you bring about the Danish notion of trust and how you adapt to different circumstances. We know that Denmark is one of, if not the highest, trust societies in the world. Do you think that learning the local language enhances trust in these cultures that have a different relation than Denmark? It definitely shows that you are interested in the country, the culture, and the team that you're working with, uh, more than just stepping in for two or three years, which often on the, on the expat mill of, of moving around in the world often happens. So the, the classic uh, period for, for, for being stationed somewhere would be three years. It shows and gives an indication that you're interested in this deeper and possibly also for a longer period of time. Yeah. And that, I'm certain, also helps on, on building the trust. When coming from Denmark, often you give almost unconditional trust from the beginning and trust is not something to be gained but something to be lost Mm. and there I learned over the years as well that it cannot always be 100% applied in the same way as it would be in Denmark and I more take time with my closest 
colleagues now to explain that I come from Denmark, this is my background, I will actually start in this way, but it also gives then a lot of responsibility to you because it's slightly different from what you might be used to. And if you see a problem with it, I see a problem with the need to address it, but this is how I work, slightly modified maybe compared to a Danish environment, but I become much more aware of, of discussing that more openly. You come from a advanced Western democracy, mm-hmm. a very rich country. How do you avoid that trapping of, oh, we do things the best in Denmark or in Scandinavia, I can still learn things from this country, this market? But I, I really think that we can learn a lot from these markets. I, I share a story from the mid-90s. Um, I was at the Danish embassy in Moscow promoting Danish companies getting into Russia and selling products in, in Russia. And a Danish company that was making checkbooks wanted to get into this fantastic new market opening up in the East. And I had to disappoint them that checkbooks had never existed really in the Soviet Union. And today they were not going to go there because they've gone directly to the credit card. When, when I look at digitalization uh, of the society, I'm impressed to many extent by, by Russia and by, by Moscow. Uh, when I look at mobility apps, when I look at what Yandex, which is the Russian variant of, of, of Google, okay. is offering, um, it is very sophisticated. Um, and it's often a surprise in, in Denmark when you bring out some of these experiences. Yes, because we do have a wonderful society. There's much we can teach from, from Denmark to others, but there's also a lot that we can learn in Denmark from other societies. In the in the Zeros, when I was in the Baltics, the way that internet banking was in, in the Baltics of those days, actually where we have emerged to more or less today. Yeah? So um, I've seen the growth in the emerging markets when they didn't have the same legacy uh, of systems and infrastructure but had the chance to rebuild something new and very fast that they actually leapfrogged. Excellent. You um, are talking about it from a Dane being abroad, but if we were dealing with expats coming to Denmark, what is the incentive for them to learn Danish and be open-minded to really the local Danish culture? What can they gain if it's such a trust-based society to begin with? Denmark is highly rated in many surveys, whether it's the best country for work-life balance, uh, Copenhagen, the most livable city, etc., etc. But one of the surveys where we are normally not at the very top but more to the very bottom is integration. And I think everything is very settled in Denmark. And as an expat coming in, I don't think it's, it's lack of willingness, but just people are already very busy in their lives. If then someone comes and speaks Danish, that shows a true interest and opens up, I'm, I'm certain also Danes, um, to, to engage in, in a wider sense than they otherwise would. Um, but, but, but you're the expat coming to Denmark. <laughs> okay, how have you experienced Danes? Being open or, or, or more closed? As in the um, more socially closed. Yeah. Um, but in terms of professionally and getting things done, a lot more trust and yeah. a lot less bureaucracy. Um, but I think when I began to speak Danish and show a genuine interest in the culture, uh, I think that uh, it created a positive yes. flow of, okay, let me be curious about more yes. about the states, or maybe I'll try out my English. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see that that positive circle generated yeah. by someone stepping out of their comfort zone. And I guess also engaging in social life in Denmark, for Inigslil. Yeah. Yeah. When, when doing that, very often you'd have to actually speak Danish to get into that Indeed. And I think um, in terms of professional and social networks, some someone has to take the leap out of the comfort zone to be towards that path of uh, growth. Um, Ideally, both parts do it. 
uh, and that's you know what we try to promote too. Of the different countries we, we moved to, actually Germany was the country we found most difficult to integrate in, and that as a personal experience, uh, might not be able to completely generalize on it, but but we ended up in in a suburb to Munich, and it was very German. The neighbors were all very very nice and. They were bringing over a bottle, and we were bringing back uh, cakes, and we had we were saying hello in the streets, etc., etc. But we never really got integrated because the kids were not of the same age as the ones who were living in this area. They already had their lives, etc. Yeah. And we ended up actually moving from that suburb to across the street from the international school, okay. and then again came into the, the let's say the bubble of expat lives yeah. where everybody else was in the same way etc yeah. and so I, it is difficult when you come from the outside and you come into a location where everything is already settled and everything is already well yeah. and there is an interest but many would already have a busy life yeah. and there I think in Denmark with a very high proportion of double careers and yeah. even with our friends we often find that they are Busy. It's not lack of interest. It's not lack of uh, not wanting to meet, but just uh, the daily lack of bandwidth. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that and that raises an interesting question: is how do you then incentivize uh, curiosity and growth when people are so busy and generally content and happy? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's <laughs> that's going to be one of the key <laughs> questions too. The Denmark's uh, embracing yeah. the more and more diversity. And I also think that from someone coming from the outside, yeah. or if I take the, expect, the, the perspective of, I today come from the outside, yeah. and it's my responsibility to keep network and relations with my old Danish friends. Yeah. Um, and I cannot expect that I was the one that moved away and that they keep in contact. Um, and we have over the years always been very active in having events where we invited a lot of friends, um, whether it's that for a Christmas event or a summer event, where we really meet people again and back to the point of often Danes are very busy at, at these events when I then ask my friends so who are you seeing over there are you still meeting the old gang from yeah. from high school or from from the army and I say I know actually I, I meet them when you are inviting for for an event yeah? because just every day takes takes over yeah so, so it, maintaining those relationships and your networks of whether you're at, at home or abroad is key it, to the. It, it, it take, my, my point is, it, it really takes an effort. Yeah? Yeah. And it also takes an effort for the expat to either by learning Danish or engaging in, in, in different other social, not just at work, but whether that is uh, joining and playing badminton or football in, in the local community or engaging in the, in the, the school council for the children is, is, is very important. Yeah. Now, we spoke off air about you um, made an analogy of language as unlocking um, the culture or opening up a door, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe you could say a little bit about how you think about language and putting your own twist <laughs> on uh, so, a song. So other than just learning, let's say, the, the, the basic grammar and the basic uh, phrases for greeting and, and, and thanking, I've, I've often also tried to learn a few phrases from key films, uh, from key songs, maybe also an unusual song, and also uh, colloquial phrases because that shows a cultural understanding and in the, I wouldn't say I mastered that in all languages but, but in Russia for instance I would have a couple of songs that would make people smile when I sing it um, especially the one which is of a very female artist <laughs> Should we do it live? <laughs> Better not <laughs> um, Or take a colloquial phrase and sometimes even make a twist of a colloquial phrase Yeah. Um, and if I should 
transfer that into a Danish setting. So if someone would be able to name the main character or characters of Matador uh, or sing a children's song, that might be unexpected, but it was sure something that most Danes would be able to relate to. Um, either in children programs or special shows that might not be that easy accessible for a foreigner, but if you'd know about it and then refer back to it, and of course in the right context, yeah. that that really that helps on building the, the relationships in another culture. And then you put your own twist on it, which makes others reflect and, 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 upon. Oh wow! Yes, and 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 when you can do that with with certain, I've, I have one favorite phrase in in Russian, "Abyshatsnatizhinitsa." Um, which means that if you engage, you should be married. Um, that's actually my interpretation. The less a nice real Russian meaning is if you get engaged, you don't necessarily have to get married. And I then twist it around to the positive sense, yeah. and especially in a, in a word um, context where I say, we work and represent a number of different brands. And a brand, in essence, is a promise. And when we have the chance and the privilege to represent great brands, we have to live up to that promise that is in that brand. So to get engaged means that we have to get married. Mm. And if we cannot live up to those brands, then we need to consider if we're in the right place. So I take one collegial phrase yeah. and, and I twist it around. And, and people then remember it better than if I was just saying, you have to understand what's in the brand, <laughs> yeah. you have to fulfill, you have to execute. Yeah. So it, it becomes a, a more personal twist. That's fantastic. You know, I... Um I speak all the time about trying to make a difference between assimilation, integration, and segregation. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're talking about right there illustrates how you take your own unique uh, take on the local mm -hmm. uh, culture, where you don't just assimilate and you memorize the song and yeah. it's more robotic, yeah. but you bring your own twist onto it, therefore causing an innovative reflection. Yeah. And that's integration, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Um, you were the Goodwill Ambassador of the Year in 2018 as part of the Copenhagen Goodwill Ambassador Corps. We've spoken to a couple people that are ambassadors. For you, what does it mean to be a Goodwill Ambassador for Denmark? It, it, it's a fantastic opportunity to, um, to meet inspiring group of people. Um, we are about uh, 55 um, today uh, Goodwill Ambassadors around the world. Um, we are in different stages of, of career. Some will already be semi-retired, maybe board members. Some will be uh, working in larger corporations and some will be more in a consultancy role. Um, average age is late 50s, so with a, with a good life experience. Um, geographically placed around the world and in all different kinds of, of industries. Working together with them and then with very close uh, cooperation from uh, wonderful Copenhagen and Copenhagen Capacity, who were the founding members, we get inspired by them by meeting once a year for two days in Copenhagen. And then we go back out in, in our industry and in, in our geographical area and try to find the areas that, that match with what Copenhagen Capacity and wonderful Copenhagen would like to promote. Sure. And in essence then, for wonderful Copenhagen, we promote Copenhagen, of course, being tourist in Copenhagen, yeah. if it's a, like a regular tourist or if it's a business tourist or for any conferences. Yeah. Uh, and for Copenhagen capacity, it's really to promote attracting talents, investments, workplaces to Copenhagen. When I say Copenhagen, um, I have to uh, admit, and I don't know if, if they know that in the in the core, but but I'm not from Copenhagen. I, 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 I'm 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 a, I'm a kid from uh, from from Aarhus, but, okay. but but worked as well in Copenhagen. My wife is too. 
from and it's Smilesby. It's a great place. They don't have a they don't have an ambassador corps, but but when promoting Copenhagen, you're indirectly also promoting Denmark. Sure. So what I find very important is there's so much that you as a Dane in other countries can bring with you of different cultures and open up knowledge about Denmark and other places, but there's also the chance to see what works well in other countries and bring back that experience to Denmark. Yeah. We are a fantastic nation and we're a great, great place, but if we become too self-reliant and self-content, we won't necessarily stay in that position and, and, and maintain that. So with um, several of the others, we worked over years to also every year, when we meet in, in August in Copenhagen, to bring back some of the experience, and we posted several papers that can be seen on, on, on the homepage. Yeah. Um, and the recent, most recent project that we worked on is Diaspora, uh, Diaspora Denmark. Right. And Diaspora is, a, for many, a, a strange word. It's Greek, and it's really explaining um, a group of uh, people coming from one nation but living outside that nation. Yeah. And we know classically from uh, Jews uh, that have lived outside. We know that many f uh, from the Philippines would be living, and not least many Irish have lived outside of Ireland. Yep. My, uh, my, my relatives, my grandparents were part of the Irish diaspora to the United States yeah. back in the, 18, yeah. in the end of 1800s. Yep. And probably the Irish are uh, one of the best practices and, and that have done most in this and most successfully so. Because if you look at the 4.5 million Irish that live in the Republic, um, they they ma managed to gather, or actually claim that they, they have approximately 73 million Irish around the world. And this is in a very broad and inclusive sense. Yes. Um, when we look at it from a Danish perspective, we look at Danish statistics and say we have 200, 250,000 yeah. Danes living abroad, yeah. and that becomes then in a that you have a Danish passport. Yeah? If you are married to a Dane but have a different nationality, you are not really a Dane, yeah? and then we don't count you in statistics. So, so very strict, exclusive. Very Dane. strict and very exclusive. The Irish are immensely inclusive. Actually, the um, the, the diaspora is highlighted in the um, in the Irish constitution, okay. and specifically so that it's not just that you are an Irish citizen, but even if you have a relation to Ireland. Yeah. So it's not forbidden in any way to say that you are Irish. And if you are one twenty-fourth Irish somehow, uh, then then that's fine. If you'd like to feel Irish, if you'd like to promote Ireland, go for it. And and when you then take such an inclusive yeah. aspect to get promoters around the world, yeah. of course that has an effect. Secondly, the Irish have made uh, a national strategy and policy called uh, Irish Global. Okay. Uh, a simple, uh, boiled down to five key points. Well, actually, the combine from a national and from a consolidated perspective, what Ireland would like to do for and with the diaspora, and what they would like to get back, and get a good balance in that. Um, so, and you were over in Ireland. Uh, I, I lived with, in Ireland with Volkswagen for many years. Right? I worked there for three years. So you saw it. I saw it. I, I experienced the, that, that openness and that interest in bringing the Irish abroad into, uh, back into Ireland. And also, I saw many of my Irish colleagues, the younger colleagues, they left uh, because they were also going to go that one year to Australia, two years to Australia, yeah. which in Denmark is normally after high school, before you, you start yeah. university. But here is something that you do maybe late 20s to get a stronger work experience and then come back and how they were saying, oh, but I have a cousin or a second cousin yeah. somewhere that, that will help me get in. What does uh, the data show there? 
uh, in terms of the ROI on the Irish uh, investment? I've, I haven't seen ROIs directly. They have a, and it can be very difficult to measure. But they do have a sincere and profound belief that this networking and drawing on um, external networks is, is helping. Yeah. Um, and this, of course, is a. The, the, some of the countries with the best diaspora strategies are also countries that have struggled. Irish diaspora, it was really the 1850s where the mass immigrations to the US were, um, but also in, in later periods of time. If you look at uh, the Philippine diaspora, that's really workforce and to, to, to have remittances sent back home. Right. If you look at uh, Israel or Jews, that's also a, a sad story. If you look at Armenians, yeah. where also more than half uh, of Armenians are living outside of Armenia, it, it, it has come out of a need and, and often terrible history. And thank God and yeah. tous du bois, um, we, have, we have been saved from that in Denmark. But for me, that doesn't mean that we should not take the opportunity to actually learn from what have they done. The motivation behind it might be different. Um, and So let's talk about Denmark. Yeah, so Denmark... Uh, we, not a country in need, but this could be a strategic move to untap a resource abroad. And a lot of good work is already done by many different organizations. We have Danes Worldwide, uh, which is organizing a lot of Danes abroad, arranging... Um, Education in the Danish language and culture, mm. um, which is a member member fee based uh, organization, and they do a fantastic work to promote the rights of Danes abroad. We have organizations like uh, DAPCO, various Balloondale yeah. has done a fantastic volunteer work in connecting. I think now more than ten thousand Danes um, in a voluntary um, network where I think it's now more than fifty cities. On a fixed day, every month, there is one place where you meet, and I've, I've done that in several cities. It's yeah, a great place. Stambor, yeah. exactly, and it's also in Copenhagen. It's a great place to meet other Danes of different ages, different industries, different careers, and just share experiences and, and socialize. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we have, we have our Minister of Foreign Affairs, which is represented in many countries with embassies and consulates, and they do a fantastic work as well. Yeah. Um, and a myriad of different local chamber of commerce, business clubs, uh, social clubs um, that are connecting Danes in, in different areas. But less of, of a coordinated effort in it, yes. and it's more sporadic and tied up around often individuals that have seen, a, have had an interest and seen yeah. a, an opportunity and a need, and then have developed it. Um, and what we did together with um, Danes Worldwide and based on the database of DAPCO was to actually make an analysis uh, of Danes abroad. And we had more than a thousand responding to a questionnaire that we made, um, which would then be more than 2% and yeah. I guess almost statistically representative sure. of, of the Danish diaspora. And, and what we learned were several things. We learned that Danes go abroad um, not because of taxes as a main reason. This, mm. this would often be, yeah. be the perception that uh, you, you get to pay lower taxes. Sure. Uh, the, the primary reason, which was 49%, is really for the career. Okay. Second reason was because of love. You met someone living in a different place. Yep. And third was the adventure and to go exploring. And I think economic reasons, i.e. taxes, were the sixth or seventh priority for both. That's interesting, abroad. isn't it? More than two-thirds of who responded had lived abroad for more than 10 years. So it's, an, it's a fantastic experience that these Danes have around the world yeah. in whatever location that they are. And we also asked, uh, do you already promote Denmark? And more than 94% said, yes, we already promote whenever we, have, whenever we have the chance or we see the chance to promote. We are very positive about uh, our mother country. 
and we um, we then also asked, would you be interested in working more for Denmark? And more than 80% said yes, we would be very ready to and, and happy to. And that's, that was what led to um, the report that we made and published and saying that the diaspora, the Danes living abroad, yeah. could be a gold mine for Denmark. And to systematically activate, systematically this activate and, and use it. Because it's out there. This, would, this is very, very difficult. It, yeah. If it was easy, it would already be done. Yeah? Sure. And then it was, also wouldn't be as interesting as it is. Yeah, what are the keys to incentivization? So incentivization is, uh, first of all, um, it doesn't come by itself. There needs to be someone that actually asks and say and show that here is someone that would like to get your help, and this is how you can do it. So there needs to be... Is that monetized, or is there any no, social no, no. When we, when awards we asked, given? When, when we asked, um, we both asked whether if you were paid for it, and then everybody's ready, yeah? Um, 90% the referral bonus or and, yeah, whatever. And, and when I said more than 80%, that is on a voluntary goodwill basis. Okay. Um, then, of course, there would be many around the world that, that it is their livelihood to be consulting and helping Danish companies get into the markets. But, but for the initial opening a door, giving a good recommendation, give a sanity check um, sure. that, that people are very happy to and, and to promote and try to identify and to network, everybody understands that is not something that you could be directly paid for. And, then, and again, more than 80% are ready to do that. Um, if I take the example from, from the Irish, um, they in their five-point plan, one of them is actually to, to recognize the ones that do a special um, effort in it. Yeah. So, so they do have awards that then come from the Irish government. Uh, it's a diploma, it's not monetary, but it, yeah. it's showing gratitude that this has been done. Yeah. And by doing that, you then also create a good story uh, and show a good example. Absolutely. That inspire others. Absolutely. So for me, it, it, it doesn't have to be. It, it's not monetizing and put it on the on the uh, on the Danish national budget. It's more showing the, the, the occasional recognition that something special has been done. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we have, of course, these global trends of nationalism or globalism, and we know that in the legislation too that there's impediments to global mobility, also for Danes, mm -hmm. whether it's they have to sell their home or they lose their right to vote. Yes. Or they lose their right to unemployment insurance if they're abroad for these many years. Yes. Is this something you're going to look at in terms of as part of the incentivizing, saying, "Hey, look, we want to take care of you. We want to promote global so, mobility, mm -hmm. and we're mindful so, of these challenges." So, Diaspora Denmark was then formed out of of this initiative and showing that there is a potential out there. Um, and in order to, there was a very good and relevant question for many of um, the potential sponsors of the work that that would have to be done. And that if there would be a real demand. So uh, our secretariat and very much covering capacity was spearheading then um, a work uh, with Fleming Bessenbacher from, from, from Carlsberg to work with 20 different organizations. And that was um, companies directly, so Carlsberg, Vestas, for instance, uh, Deloitte. It was uh, Copenhagen University, DTU. It was associations like Chamber of Commerce, Confederation of Danish Industry, a total of 20 um, different organizations in Denmark, whether they could see and have an interest in engaging with the Danish diaspora and saw potential in more systematically organizing it uh, and including that as, a, as the other outside Denmark. Um, and that was seen positively. Uh, and when we met back in February, yeah. that was at the launch of this right. initiative where the first recommendation of seven was to form an association, Diaspora Denmark, 
to continue this work. Yeah. Um, and that has been founded back in August. So the initial work is now starting. Uh, initial found, uh, funding is in place. Yeah. Uh, more funding is, is, is in, in, in process and being, being seeked at the moment Good. Uh, to find ways of, of, of getting this to work. When you then ask specifically about the rights that the Danes have, yeah. it, you don't keep many rights when you leave Denmark. Yeah? You leave this fantastic yeah. uh, country and what should, why should Denmark then uh, keep offering you anything? And yeah. which is, if you want to be Danish, then you can stay in Denmark kind of mentality. Yeah, yeah. You, it, um, it becomes very and, exclusive and, uh, very quickly. And many other countries, um, you would maintain your right to vote, for instance, yes. which is a very good way of maintaining the relationship and that you actually have a voice. Um, this We do not have a Denmark, and it would be very difficult to get back. It would be a change of the constitution. So um, personally, I think Danes abroad should have the right to vote, yeah. uh, a Danish citizen. Um, however, I also realistically and pragmatically understand that this will be... It's not happening tomorrow, unfortunately. Sure. And we do have an organization with Danes worldwide that is fighting for the rights of Danes when it comes to... Uh, unemployment support or many other of the legal uh, constraints that might happen when you move abroad. They do a good job at that. Um, personally, I looked at more what is it that the Danes can do for Denmark from the belief that if we can show more value from the outside Denmark, yeah. then it would be easier to also convince Denmark to do more for the Danes abroad. But it is important that... Um, what we see in other markets, uh, sorry, in other countries and other countries' diaspora policies, there needs to be a certain element of, of balance. Sure. Um, and to make it more visible what the outside Denmark or the diaspora Denmark is actually doing, that I hope with this association will be able to show that in a better way when it gets more coordinated, there'll be more value and it'll be more visible. And along the way then, I'm certain we'll find also yeah. <laughs> <laughs> better ways of staying connected. For sure. And I mean, when you mentioned the statistic uh, a little bit ago about the Irish on inclusivity, mm-hmm. strategically, isn't that something to take a look at and saying, okay, the Irish have a similar population, but they have 15 times more exactly. people that identify as Irish. Shouldn't inclusion be kind of point number one in a strategy to expand the pie? If you ask me as a business person, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there is, there can be benefits to exclusivity, but when it comes to promote a nation, when it comes to promoting um, indirectly then our cultures and services, uh, products and services that we're trying to, there would be as inclusive as possible. Yeah? So anyone who okay. wants to share the good story that we have from Denmark, and by the way, um, creating that good story about Denmark is one of the recommendations as well from Diaspora Denmark to really form. Um, uh, long-term, solid, sustainable story about what what is it to be Danish. And then uh, create material that anyone then, Danish passport holder, um, or just interested in Denmark, or aspiring to maybe live in Denmark, etc., gets that story as well and shares that story. Um, That that becomes strong. And and we have have some good basics um, for creating such a story. We had the Danish canon back in 2016, yeah. where we, we, we had um, a lot of work done and a lot of, let's say, uh, surveys, investigations into what does it mean to be Danish. And there were a number of values that, that really stood out, the trust that, that often yeah. comes up in, in your podcast here as well. Yeah. There was also the equality um, yeah. of, of, of Danish society and then innovation. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and if we would say these are the three things that we would take out of that and we would repeat, enhance, and, and really uh, promote these consistently, that would make the story about Denmark stronger. We would get a stronger uh, brand uh, internationally. And the Danes should be um, promoters. The Danes abroad should be promoters of Denmark. Yeah. And we should be part of the soft power that, that every nation also needs yeah. in, in promoting the not naively only the very positive sides, but, but really a, a true and, and genuine picture of, of, of Denmark. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, apropos innovation, um, we haven't touched much on Volkswagen here, mm. um, but maybe you could tell me about what direction your company is moving in terms of uh, new technology, innovation, sustainability. Um, the automotive industry is, is fascinating in that um, it, it's very, very complex. It has some of the companies with the highest R&D uh, budgets. Uh, last year, our group was unfortunately surpassed and no longer in first place um, by, by Amazon and, and Alphabet, uh, but in third place. So there's very large amounts of uh, funds going into investing in future mobility in the, uh, in the automotive industry. What we're focusing on, um, first and foremost, is electric mobility. We signed the Paris Accord that we will be a zero uh, CO2 company by 2050. That's a far way away, but when, when you see where we're coming from today, that's still a, still a challenge. And well, I think the children born today will very much appreciate that goal. When 2050 arrives. <laughs> you will see more and more models that will be fully electrified. And we have developed models now that are really built as core, uh, core uh, electrical vehicle. Yeah. Uh, this will be... Um, having impact in particular in the European Union, in China, and in the US, where it is also um, encouraged uh, by legislation and sometimes also subvented. You'll see other areas of, of, of the world, if, if Russia, uh, probably Middle East, uh, Africa, South America, where this will go a bit, bit slower. But, but a very, very strong push into electrical mobility is what you'll see the first year in Denmark. A lot of innovation into uh, autonomous driving, yeah. um, where technology is running much, much faster than legislation. And, and from a personal perspective, I think also from the social acceptance. We have technology, and, and in general, an industry has technology for very high-level uh, autonomous driving today, also under uh, very challenging conditions. However, legislation is not keeping up to it because there's a lot of ethical and moral questions that yeah. needs to be answered so that the ones that are making the algorithms um, actually know what to put into them. <laughs> we were just talking with Peter Sfar about that in general, yeah, yeah. with AI and who's writing the algorithm. Because, because at the end of the day, huge question. We, we every day um, tragically accept that people die in traffic yeah. because of human errors, first and foremost. Uh, 30,000 a year in the States. And, and it's often because of drunk driving or other human factors. Yeah. And yes, they are then penalized in different degrees depending on, the, on, on, on what happens. But if it happens by an algorithm, if it's indirectly a machine that kills a human, right. that of course raises an uproar. And, and no one should die for, by, by a drunk driver or by, by an right. algorithm. Right. But when you look at um, how much you could actually reduce uh, road deaths, by algorithms, um, then, the, and I think Elon Musk is one of the big, biggest yeah. uh, promoters for, for yeah. not necessarily jumping off every single little incident that happens with a self-driving vehicle, um, but it does get 
all the attention. Uh, whatever brand has an issue, then it flares up of an accident, and then that delays autonomous driving with a few months or maybe a year, depending on, on, on the severity of the accident. It will be fascinating to see that discussion, whether the autonomy of the human being to choose and to die on their own accord is stronger than the utilitarian calculation that shows that we can minimize this exponentially, but you may have a couple cases where people and, died. And MIT has a, a fantastic website on, uh, on autonomous driving and the, the moral dilemmas. And uh, okay. I hope it's easy to Google, um, but, but it takes you through different scenarios where you, are, you need to program the car. And it has a lot of different variations, but one of the more basic ones is um, an elderly lady, uh, very ill from cancer, is walking on the boardwalk, and you have a young child uh, running into the street to catch a ball. Yeah. And what should your car do? Uh, follow the traffic rules of staying, and it's in inevitable. You have to choose between one yeah. or the other, yeah. unfortunately. Yep. Um, and as a human being, you might be able to react and maybe go for... <laughs> Sure. Uh, the person with less life expectancy. Yeah. Um, and there could be some understanding for that. But how would you ever have a machine doing this? Um, and then it actually evolves into many other scenarios. It goes back it, into the algorithm and what are the ethical frameworks. Exactly. And, and MIT is collecting data there uh, to try to help on, on those decisions. Yes. Um, there are some very inspiring TED Talks about it as well. Um, and, and that needs to be clarified to really make a, a push forward. Last question and we'll take a, mm -hmm. we'll take a break. How far is Copenhagen away from self-driving cars flooding the streets? <laughs> Best guess. I, um, I, I struggle to see level five autonomous driving in city environment fully free in our lifetime. I think it will come on, uh, it will come on certain stretches, certain, might be on the ring roads, etc. but it needs to be something that is, that is turned on and turned off. And um, it needs to be a smart autonomous that will force the driver when he gets into more complex uh, inner city uh, driving environments where the driver needs to take over. Okay. But when being on, on uh, uh, yeah. the, the outer ring, uh, let the car drive itself. So these, hi these hybrid solutions yes. with new legislation yes. and yeah. a new framework. I, I think that is much more likely. Maybe and, special uh, driver's license training to be able to... Could, could be as well, but it, it, it's... Um, it will be highway driving, etc. That will be easy, and that, that will come first, and then it will then it will expand. Fantastic, mm -hmm. Lars. We're going to take a quick break, and we will come back with the quick fire round mm -hmm. to wrap up the podcast today. Super. Thank you. Studying for an executive MBA at Henley Business School in Denmark is an intense and rewarding experience. If you want to achieve the best possible outcomes in business and in life, we can give you the skills and knowledge you need through the Henley MBA. For more info, visit henley.dk. We are back. I am here with today's honored guest, Mr. Lars Himmer. All right, Lars, we're going to go into the quick fire round. What habits, routines, or rituals do you do every day to stay at the physical or mental peak performance? Um, mental performance, I, I, have, I do a lot to, to keep foreign languages alive. Um, that, of course, in, in, in everyday life, in, in where I am, but also trying to keep some of the languages I use less passively. Um, and I do that with almost never listening to music, but mainly news podcasts in, in different languages. Okay. 
and uh, I like to set the language settings in the car. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So next time uh, I, I'll be in Germany next week, I will definitely make certain that uh, then I have the language setting in German. I'll listen to Norddeutsche Rundfunk, uh, etc. So it, 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 it will be, and I keep that alive, and I'll be sitting in the car, and instead of singing along to uh, to whatever latest tunes, I'll be repeating sentences that I that, that I catch on now. So. I, 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 let's say I stimulate uh, my brain by not direct work related, but by by foreign languages and keeping them alive. That's fantastic. You know, I ran a, a bilingual school program for some years, and you look at the uh, bilingual and multilingualism in cognition, in, improved memory retention, executive functions, cross cultural competencies. The, the list goes on. Uh, staving off the effects of dementia. Um, I, I hope, a, I hope <laughs> if you can remember that. <laughs> but, um, but it's good, it's good, it's good exercises, yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, physically, I should definitely do more. Yeah? I'm, I'm sitting here with a heat pad on my back and I should find time to do more. What, what I do do is uh, I monitor my Fitbit. I try to get uh, enough sleep. Um, I'm very alert on, on my resting pulse. Um, and I, I do my, about once a week, I measure my blood pressure just to see that sometimes with high stress, that's still, it, it's, not, it's not peaking too much. Um, and I once a year do a full medical checkup just to make certain that I'm not pushing it too much. And in my, my little secret trick is I love my Ulta Solgrün. And um, their success in Russia, the Russian distribution is not uh, yet complete. So it is something that I have to buy when I'm in Denmark, and then I bring it back, and so I have my Ulta Solgrün, okay. uh, oatmeals uh, in, in the morning back at, back in Moscow. Fantastic. How do you, as a top leader, deal with stress? Um, I, I, I think back to my military days, which was um, pushing limits intellectually, but also physically. And then I basically just... I try to focus on what is the most important and then just work, work through it and then I know that it will be, it'll be solved. So I, I I've sometimes take a deep stress, a, a, a deep breath, but I don't use any special mindful techniques or anything else. I uh, have my deep breath and then I refocus and just work hard. Okay. And you keep that perspective that things will be okay? Things will be okay. They all, always work out well. That's a very optimistic, good, good way to deal with stress. Have you ever undergone any one experience or event that changed the person or leader you've become? Um, meeting my wife, and in that moment, and actually on that night, uh, telling my friends that she's the one and she'll be the mother of, of, of our children. <laughs> and and thankfully, it, it, it also happened so. Um, because without her, it, the this life together of, of moving around would never have happened okay. um, and other than that it would probably be um, October 3rd 1989 when the Berlin Wall was, was, was torn down mm. and I was studying at uh, the business school in Aarhus um, a special line um, taught in English and in French and I thought I would be selling uh, Danish design in France and French uh, delicatess in, uh, in in Denmark um, and this gigantic opening of the rest of Europe and the former Soviet Union of 350 million plus um, 
suddenly happening was fascinating. And I had a friend who had been in the army and learned Russian in the army. So I asked him, what was this all about and how did that work? And so the, the Berlin Wall um, unification of, uh, of, of, of Germany on the 3rd of October 1989 was, was really what, what changed my perspective of what to explore. Go east. Go man. east instead of going <laughs> yeah. south. So, so that was really a, 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 that, that was pivotal in, in how, how my life so far has turned out. Fantastic. What is your biggest motivator? Biggest motivator is uh, making an impact and, and making an impact that, that is lasting. Um, often in business you see um, very short-term mission and quick results. Yeah. And um, again, a, a colloquial sentence, um, my grandfather um, often said that um, you can have a sensational feeling if it's cold outside and you're pissing your pants, but it's going to be short-lived. <laughs> So, uh, um, I, I, what motivates me is to drive the change that you need as a leader, but something that will actually be lasting and not necessarily fulfill a short-term, single-month target, um, yeah. but something that, that will make sense. Fantastic. You mentioned your grandfather there. Mm -hmm. um, have you had any teachers or mentors that have had a profound influence on so it, it, it would actually be my, my, my grandfather and grandmother. I spent a lot of time with them when I grew up. Um, what did they do? Um, my grandfather sold cars. So <laughs> okay. the circle is, is complete. Okay. Um, so he had a, he had a dealership. Yeah. Um, and I, I used to love to be there on the weekends and be in, back in the service or in the showroom. And the smell of a new car was always fantastic. And we were changing cars very often uh, in, in the family. Okay. Um, but the way that he would do business of doing it... In the, in the right way, um, taught me a lot. And in work, I, I, today of, I often refer to the, 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 the babushka test, uh, so the, 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 the grandmother test. If, if you are in doubt whether what you do is right or wrong, ask yourself, how would you explain this to your grandmother or your babushka? Mm. And if you can... Babushka if, test, yeah. yeah so how, if you can explain that and still feel good about it, then it's probably not wrong. Yeah? Yeah. But if you'd struggle to explain this to your, to your grandmother and it's something that you might, you would excuse, then it's not something you should do. So when discussing integrity, compliance, etc., yeah. of course there's a lot of, of very specific things that needs to be done, but okay. at the end of the day, I, I, it's a bit of a stomach feeling and the Babushka test. That, uh, for me, that was being brought up and, and taught what is right and what is wrong. Excellent. So you're both immersed in the auto industry, but also taught what a, a means-oriented approach to business. Yes, yeah. Fantastic. You're uh, invited to a dinner party. Mm -hmm. You can invite two people from history, mm -hmm. alive or dead, yeah. today. Mm -hmm. Who's there sitting next to you and why? I'd love to break boundaries, so I, I thought of inviting <laughs> a genie in the bottle and, and, and get limitless uh, opportunities. Um, but, but the first would have to be my grandfather and grandmother. Yeah, and they passed away, unfortunately, more than 25 years ago. And, and I'd love to show them how my life is, my family, their grandchildren that they've never met, yeah. uh, and show that circle being met. And that, that, that would be fantastic. Um, secondly, um, it would actually be uh, Mikhail, Gorba Mikhail Gorbachev. Yeah. Um, because it's very rare that you have a significant shift in power base between nations or regions without an armed conflict. 
And when we look at what happened less than 30 years ago when we had a planned economic dictatorship to, to the east of us, and we were fearing that, I think we had eight minutes notice before a, a strategic bomber could, uh, could hit the Danish uh, shores from, from Poland under the Cold War, and that is all gone, and it happened very, very peacefully. And that very much is thanks to Gorbachev, who let Central Eastern Europe go, allowed Germany to be reunited, yeah. and was trying to create um, or change the Soviet Union from a communistic state to a more social democratic and more democratic country with more openness, with more human rights. He was too late. What he did was not enough. But he, he tried, which others did not do. Yeah. Um, and by letting Central Europe uh, go and doing so peacefully, I think he was pivotal in, in actually ensuring that we had peace in our time. We've seen in Balkan and, and other places how bad it can go when, when things fall apart. Yeah. Um, and, and to that, I would love to meet with him, discuss his considerations and how he managed actually in that, with all the interests around and when things are falling apart, how he managed still to avoid that it that it went astray yeah, it's because it was in those days um, uh, it was very close. He's formed of Chernobyl back in in, in 85, 86. Yeah. Um, uh, the salt talks um, uh, agreement with um, with Gorbachev, sorry, with the, with Reagan, yeah. um, and in a society that's really falling apart. Um, so yeah. I would he would be fascinating to meet with him. How is he looked at in modern Russia by uh, in general? Um, in a very different light. He was the one that uh, he caused the, uh, the Soviet Union to, to, to uh, fall apart. Okay. So he would not be seen positively in, in the vast majority. At this point in history. No. history Hopefully later he will get a better life. Ebbs and flows. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Um, what was the best piece of business or life advice you were ever given? Um, this would... Um, I have a fellow Goodwill Ambassador, uh, Valdemar Smith, um, who I have very good, uh, good talks with. Um, and he's basically, when discussing careers, he said, well, focus on just doing good work. Don't overthink anything about the career. It's focus on doing your work well, and then good things will come. Um, and, and that, if you look at, at, at the career that I've had in, in, in different industries, etc., this is not something that you could have planned. Uh, this is something about focusing on, on, on doing a good job, um, of course, uh, network and be open to um, things that might change. And that I think the, the, the talks that I have with him and his very down-to-earth, and by the way, he's written two uh, great books. Um, okay. I think where the titles are something from MBA to CEO uh, okay. is one, uh, where he uses his uh, life experience. Um, and the other one is then when you have the CEO role, how to succeed in it. Mm. Two books that I, I recommend very, very highly. Excellent. We'll, we'll try to get those up on the website too. <laughs> um, succeeding as a CEO, how do you look at the proportionality between being a rational and emotional leader? <laughs> Working in a German company? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, joking aside. Um, I think working in, um, in, in, in Russia, the emotions are very important and engaging locally. And working in a German company, which is very factual, very process, 
based. Um, you need to find a good balance in that. And when you have a role as a as a country manager or a country CEO, um, it you're really the bridge builder. And sometimes you need to implement what headquarters wants, and sometimes you need to highlight the the organisation you represent back to headquarters. And in that bridge building function, it's sometimes twenty eighty, sometimes eighty twenty, or anything yeah. in between. And I, I, I sometimes in it, it it varies as well from 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 culture to culture that you work in. And I sometimes use an analogy to the Microsoft Office package on how it's been to work in in, in, in different countries. And when I worked in a Swedish organization, I would say it's very important to sit around the table and hold hands from high to low in the organization until you all agree on the three clear bullet points that you have. And then when you have that coherent joint understanding, then you can part again and everybody runs in the same direction, but you're not necessarily micromanaging. And of course, so what I when I think of, of, of my time in the Swedish company, that was like working in PowerPoint. Yeah. Um, when I worked in the Danish company, for me, that was um, less structured, uh, much more agile, much more less aligned, um, often aligning, but not necessarily wanting it. So for me, that's very much Outlook, where it's very quick to send them an email or a meeting invitation, and you add one or you deduct one, or and, and it's fluid and it works very very quick, again, with many SMEs, fits yeah. also the, 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 the business structure in Denmark. Um, I, I worked um, in total six months in France, where um, I, I had studied French for many years, but sometimes my conjunctive might be slightly off, which of course would uh, <coughs> uh, hurt alert, the, alert the French, authorities. alert the, the, the French uh, <laughs> linguistic ears, and, and sure. they would then stop listening. So in the French organization, it was really about the spoken word and how Equilibristic, you could you could formulate uh, something and often very lengthy. So, for me, working in French organization was very much like working in uh, Microsoft Word, yeah, a long text and make yeah. it beautiful. Uh, now um, I work in a German company, and it's probably no surprise that uh, what can, uh, must, and should be quantified. Yeah, in am Excel. I hearing a spreadsheet coming? <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is of course very much like Microsoft Excel. Um, and when I worked in Ireland, you cannot step into a pub and not get in contact with someone. Um, it, it, it will take you maximum two minutes to get into contact. <laughs> it will take you two minutes to yeah. find out how his second cousin knows uh, your brother-in-law or somewhere, etc. That's and that inclusive uh, networking. It again. is really a relationship where everybody knows each other throughout the diaspora as well. Um, and that's then the access or relationship uh, database. Um, yeah. And now being in Russia and, of course, being very positive about where, where you are, I'm saying that's then the whole Microsoft package that I'm working in because it's a complicated place where you need the emotions that can be explained in, in, in a Word document and, and, and talk to that. Still, you need the business sense of, of an Excel sheet. You need the flexibility in an emerging market of, of Outlook. You need a clear strategic direction of, of PowerPoint. And, yes, of course, the relationships that you have with, with business partners and authorities is also important. So. It, 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 the, the rationality versus emotionality is varying from, from situation to situation. You just need to be able to, to modify that yeah. uh, to the situation. Oh, it's, I've never had anyone spelled out in terms of the Microsoft Office suite <laughs> before, but uh, I guess you're on commission for Microsoft. It's <laughs> fantastic. I, I won't forget that metaphor now. Thank you. Um, what book or books have you most uh, been influenced by? Um, I remember in my in my youth, um, 
I, I read East of Eden by, by Steinbeck um, and I love the, 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 the family story in it um, and both the tragedies and successes and also that life was not black and white mm. um, and I mentioned my grandparents before and, and really on what is right in life but that book was the first time also that for me that was becoming an adult when things were not necessarily that easy any longer but it's just completely right or wrong yeah you have to navigate in the gray yeah and and, and that book was really um, showing that sometimes life is also gray yeah. well mindful of the time and I want to wrap up the podcast today with one final question and we ask this to all of our guests and that is what can you teach Denmark Lars and what do you think Denmark can still teach the rest of the world so um I hope very much I can bring some of the experience from the countries that I've been in and my experience back to Denmark, which I'll try very much to do with the initiative of creating a more consolidated approach to the Danish diaspora. And uh, I hope anyone interested in it will go on diasporadenmark.com, see the seven initiatives, uh, who is behind it, who's working in it, and there's also the chance to engage with it. Um, we have a secretariat that, that is working diligently with this. So that, that, that's, that's my key thing that I'm trying to, to bring back to Denmark. And Denmark to the world is, um, I, I, other than all the surveys that we are um, at the top of the list every time, and I, together with many others, are very happy and very proud to share on LinkedIn and other social media all the time. Um, I think it, it's, it's those core values that come back from the Danish canon of, of trust and how that can actually work and help create a very livable and, and happy society. It's the equality that we have in our society and, and it's innovation. So the Danish canon, I think, if we find a good way of communicating that, creating a story, a narrative around it, and then have that coming out to the world very much helped by the Danish diaspora, that's, that I would be very happy to see. Excellent. Who put together the Danish canon? You know, sorry. Who put together the Danish canon? Was that it, it was a it was a governmental initiative. Okay. Uh, with many different in, um, um, organizations, uh, companies, uh, individuals, to really define what is Danish culture, what is Denmark. Fantastic. Um, before we go, uh, where can our audience find you and the work you're doing? Um, oh, I'm I'm on LinkedIn. I'm a very active uh, Linkediner. Uh, started as one of the first I think I got an email from them a, a while ago and I think they were thanking the first 10,000 that was on there so it, it's okay. over the years there's been quite a few contacts I'm a very open networker so on LinkedIn last year it's, it's, it's easy to find me um, and Diaspora work again would be diasporadenmark.com yeah, we'll put that up on our, our website too thank you last year an absolute pleasure and thank you for uh, hopefully we can continue the dialogue another time okay. thank you very much I appreciate it yeah. and to our audience please Continue helping our podcast by rating, reviewing, liking, anything to help uh, us continue to drive conversations where we teach lessons to and from Denmark. And until next time, see you on the GDP. Are you getting the most out of your time in Denmark? Pick up your printed copy of the English language newspaper Copenhagen Post today to access relevant news and event information guaranteed to enhance your working and family life.